my darling little ducklings, and Merry Christmas to you all. You're very welcome to the Pontification Christmas Special. I'm Chase Nova, and as always, I'm joined by... Jolly Holly Ray. Jolly Holly Ray. Are you any relation to the Michael Holly Ray and Daniel Holly Ray? Yes. What kind of relation? Nobody knows. It's a circle. Uh, Very true. And that's, of course, because it's Christmas. What are we doing on air? Uh, Jolly? Drinking? Is that the right answer? We are pouring glasses of wine. Ah. Oh. Oh. Was that a bit ASMR-ish? Did that sound good? It was. It was was quite pleasant. Do you know that was voted the UK's favourite sound? (laughs) Really, it wasn't the scream in a Northern Irish accent? (laughs) Just like children's I may have had one already, by the way. (laughs) We're off to a flying start here. We are, we are off to a flying start. Before we do it, we need to make sure we get paid. So we've got some Christmas sponsors. Let me just get some wine in to lube myself up for the capitalism. <laughs> ah, That's so. it, Chase. Drink your shame. Oh, yeah. On this, the most festive time of year, Pontification is brought to you by Car Antlers. Have you ever wondered why such moronic figures as the Healy Rays tend to make it into government? Maybe you puzzled as to why we need instructions on toilet paper, warnings on coffee, or wet floor signs. It's simple. There are people out there, some of whom don't even have children, who think putting antlers on their cars at Christmas is fun or clever. Oh look, it looks like a reindeer, and it's nearly Christmas. Yes, this is an actual thought from a human brain that has evolved over seven million years. Car antlers, the most festive harbinger of the apocalypse. <laughs> do you agree? Do you hate car antlers? Oh my god, too, I hate I them. I hate them so much. Can't fucking stand them. Because we didn't, we didn't prep for this one as much as we normally do. So I'm currently very, very relieved that you are like me. You don't do a tacky Christmas. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, a kitschy Christmas from time to time. You might um, even call it a Ponzi but, Christmas. Oh, a Ponzi Christmas indeed. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Um, <laughs> Ponsification is also cheerfully brought to you by Elf on a Shelf. Are you so inept as a parent that you need to resort to extortion and emotional blackmail just to get your child to behave? You need Elf on a Shelf. Instill a sense of paranoia and fear into your child that will serve them well into their 20s, when they'll probably have to fight off strangers for cold soup in the Coliseum. I'm just kidding. No child of a parent who needs Elf on a Shelf will ever survive that long. <laughs> Elf on a Shelf, because you're a monster. <laughs> uh, Thanks for paying for my wine, Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> I know a family where uh, the elf is leaving a gift every day. And if I don't go to their house and burn it down, it will be a Christmas miracle. <laughs> I feel like if you do, it would be a Christmas miracle because you may have saved that child's soul. Duh. I'm going to blame it on the elf either way, so we'll see. Text me <laughs> on the 25th. Fair enough. Uh, Pontification is also merrily brought to you by Mistletoe. As we all know, the world has shone a very bright spotlight on sexual misconduct in the past few years, and that illumination is still very relevant today. So Mistletoe are rebranding. Just like Apple went from computers to iPods to phones to monopolies, Mistletoe is changing fields. From now on, mistletoe are no longer the festive image of budding romance. They are now the festive image of conflict resolution. From here on out, whenever an argument breaks out at the dinner table, family members will draw long sheaths of mistletoe and duel with thorny blows until one side concedes. Mistletoe, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la, on guard. (laughs) Another one of our jingling sponsors is a merry message from the Irish Republican Army. They've asked the pontification deliver this without any axe. Oh, sorry, sorry. 
They've asked the pontification to deliver this message without any accent. The Irish Republican Army wish to alert everyone on both sides of the border that it is not Boxing Day and it is not Stevens Day. It is, in fact, Stevens's Day. Say it right, Stevens's Day. <laughs> and that's all we can. Um, that's all I can make out here. The handwriting's a bit fuzzy. It, it says something about a, a, a duck catcher or a, a stuck scratcher. Um, either way, Merry Christmas from the IRA. Oh, jolly good. Oh, oh, and finally, sorry. Oh. This one was an odd one. I know, we got an extra sponsor for Christmas, I think. Kaching. This was an odd one um, because they literally just sent us an email looking for our PayPal and then asked that we read out the following text. Um, and it just says, Pontification is brought to you by Mold Wine Enemas. And Mm-mm. that's it. That's all it says. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, that's it isn't. That's all it says. No, it isn't. That is literally all it says. Ooh, yeah. Don't want that money. Woof. <laughs> I'm taking it. I want more wine. For what? They sent me a free kit. <laughs> Hang on, where's my free kit? You know what? You know what? No, keep it. Regift it. Merry Christmas to me. Uh, would you, being the the soberer one of the two of us at this particular moment, tell the listeners what we're doing for the Christmas special? Oh God, this has been hell. So. If you've been listening along with us week on week, you'll know that uh, we pick a topic, we research it a little bit, and then we talk shite about it for nearly an hour. Yeah. We've done something a little bit different this time. I have picked six topics for Chase. Chase has picked six topics for me. Together, they will be the 12 Ponces of Christmas. (laughs) So That's that's the shittest name we've ever come up with. Oh my God, it's terrible. (laughs) Okay, but remember, they're also the fun thing about this is with these topics, we have to tie them to Christmas yeah. somehow, which is the really tough part which, with some of yeah, the Yeah, you're you about given. to learn how difficult that was. <laughs> uh, would you like to go first or will I? Um, I'm going to go first because, okay. because my first one is a bit disturbing, I think, because I have to <laughs> visualize it while I read it. Scary Christmas. Okay, so lucky, lucky me, my first topic that I had to connect Christmas to and make interesting is Alton Towers. Really, Which Chase? makes Alton Towers the first po- or the twelfth ponce of Christmas? The first ponce of Christmas is Alton Towers. Too many syllables. Yes, perfect. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Um, okay, so I'm sure you already know. Alton Towers is a theme park, or maybe it's a chain of theme parks. I'm not really sure. But they're kind of known for doing seasonal events. Like, I think people are quite excited for Halloween at Alton Towers. And one of Mm -hmm. their seasonal events is Santa's Sleepover, which thankfully, upon further inspection, is not what it sounds like and doesn't pose any significant child protection risks. Wonderful. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Off to a great start. So... (laughs) What surprised me when I was forced to dig a little bit deeper to try and make the intersection of Alton Towers and Christmas interesting, there's actually a rich tradition of Christmas theme parks. Not Christmas at theme parks. That would make far too much sense. No, I'm talking about dedicated, year-round theme parks where the theme is our good friend Santa Claus. Oh. Ah. Now, this happened all over the world. There are prominent examples in Brazil and in the UK, but most notably, the first one, and perhaps the first theme park in general, the jury's out, but it seems that way, was in the town of Santa Claus, Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, apparently Santa Fe was taken, so they went with Santa Claus, Indiana. And as such, many letters intended for the big man had mistakenly been delivered there over the years. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah, their postman. 
sorry, their postmaster, who was actually in the habit of replying to those letters on slow work days, and his lawyer, eventually opened up a visitor park in 1928, 20 years, I would remind you, before Disneyland was ever dreamed up, where, you know, kids could play and there was rides and parents could shop in the gift shop. And this idea expanded over decades and finally peaked in the 1950s when the US was littered with Santa amusement parks. And then pop culture kind of did what it does and it moved on. Santa and Christmas just weren't as cool in the 60s and 70s as they had been in the 40s and 50s. So now they're all abandoned. There are abandoned Christmas theme parks. Okay, all that's not true. The they're not States. all abandoned. Like some okay, of them okay. are still in operation and several have been repurposed into less specific amusement parks. And one yeah. has been turned into an azusement park. It's full of animals and that's what they call it. I swear to God. But I was thinking you could just take the beard off and then you've got a John Goodman amusement park. <laughs> I would go there. I love John Goodman. I fucking love John Goodman. Great guy. But the good man. The ones that are abandoned, I mean, they're truly terrifying. Like, they're awful. Because not just Santa, it's 50s Santa with 50, no, sorry, 70, I guess, years of, like, dust and grime built up. So do feel free to conduct a quick image search on your browser of choice and be just disgusted and horrified by that. I'm picturing, like, Pripyat, you know, the abandoned towns after Chernobyl where all the stuff's rusted over and nature's going to take it over. I wish you were further off. (laughs) <laughs> mm. I wow okay yeah. <laughs> was that the was that the entirety of the, the the first ponce of christmas that's it that's our first ponce of christmas i'm not going to be doing the tunes by the way you can you can carry on how dare um, you i just you know i'm not a, a professional singer like you are emma uh, um, obviously yeah. yeah um no the second ponce of christmas that you gave me which actually this one's kind of more of an emotional hot take Okay. Um, but you, you gave me Vincent van Gogh or van Hoff. Oh, I'm going to go did, with van Gogh. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So, so I'm going to. No, 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 no. It was quite good. So um, I, I did a little intro thing to this. And I think that familial conflict is kind of a Christmas tradition for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, probably it's to do with like social media and also the fact there's been so much project, progress in the last few years. So people are seen quite divided between generations and that. Hmm. But after reading a bit about him, I think the familial contact of Christmas had a lot to do with the formation of Vincent van Gogh's career. Um, okay. Yeah. You'll see this. Like I, I went through like a few pages about him and I found like a book by a Dutch historian talking about him. And I, I read probably about maybe the hundred, 200 pages of it. I am always and, impressed by how hard you go in your research. <laughs> just Merry Christmas you impressive man oh and Merry Christmas to you my delightful co-host um, so uh, as you know I'll brief things in case you don't know Vince Van Gogh fantastic artist one of my favourites actually oftentimes considered one of the best of all time anyways um, he was born in 1853 in Groot Zuntert in the Netherlands which is a very Catholic or is in the very Catholic province of North Brabant um, his family weren't incredibly wealthy, but they had had like good social credit with the church, so they got like you know a house and a carriage. They were looked after. Um, so in eighteen sixty four, Vincent was sent to boarding school because he wasn't doing well in the local school. He hated it, and during the Christmas break, he went home, got in a fight with his da, and asked to stay home. And in response, they sent him to a different boarding school. No. 
So that's one oh. argument with his father at Christmas, and we're only we're only at the start of his life. Um, he's noticed as being deeply unhappy and feeling abandoned. He then returned home two years later in Christmas 1867. So at this point, he is, what, 14? Yeah. Uh, he returns home Christmas and gets into another huge argument with his father because his father felt that his life was directionless. And, you know, what weren't having that at the time, Catholic family in, in the Netherlands. I mean, my Catholic um, family feel that way about me too, and I don't think they're having it in 2020, so... And which events? Emma, Google Maps thinks I'm directionless. <laughs> Eventually, he got a job through his uncle in an art dealership, uh, which he finished training in 1873, and he moved to the London branch for a few years, and he was happy there for a while, but he had this kind of romantic interest in uh, the landlord's daughter, uh, and she rejected him. And then he returned home again in Christmas 1876 and got into another massive argument with his father about his directionlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so he took a job for, uh, in a bookshop for six months near home, and yeah, he, he couldn't fucking stand it. Um, he spent the day reading and translating the Bible and decided to study to be a priest. So he takes numerous exams, not really having much success, but does take a missionary post in Petite Wams in Belgium. And it's notable that while he was working um, as a missionary there, he gave up his comfortable lodgings to a homeless man to show support for his congregation. Oh. He was a really kind guy. He just let homeless people sleep in his lodgings, and then he went out in the street to sort of show support for them. That's lovely. Um, I just thought it was quite sweet, deserve to be mentioned. Um, he again returns home in Christmas 19- 1879, and his father grows so frustrated with his son that he tries to have him committed to an asylum. So he spends 1880s studying um, different artists and trying to find his medium, as it were, and then again goes home for Christmas 18, 1881 and, like, for God's sake, Vincent, learn your lesson. He gets into another argument with his father <laughs> before fleeing to The Hague. So this was a bad one. He flees to The Hague after oh. this one. So that's what? That's six out of, whatever, 20 Christmases where he's gotten to, like, come to blows with his own parents. Yeah. Um, so he travels to The Hague and he has a busy few years there um, and he basically has this kind of a, a, a tricky domestic situation where he moves in with a, a prostitute and mm-hmm. becomes a sort of semi-stepfather to her Can kids. Can we go with sex um, worker? I was, yeah, I was going to say, I actually mentioned that in the next paragraph, but yeah, sex worker. The term in the book was prostitute, but yes, he moves in with a sex worker um, and it doesn't really go well. Um, he moves in with his brother Theo for a while, which is a bit therapeutic. He gets on very well with his brother. Mm-hmm. And he travels to Paris and kind of has a bit of a breakthrough in 1886 in Arles when he starts embracing pointillism, um, mm-hmm. which, if you don't know your art, is this uh, technique of using small coloured dots on the canvas. So that at a distance, there's this blending of optical hues. Um, and he also starts using these um, contrasting but complementary colours, like blue and orange, which is what I'd associate with kind of Van Gogh's work. A lot of blues yeah, and oranges. Yeah, that's what I would picture, yeah. Yeah, um, to form a vibrant contrast. So the next big instant, which we have all heard of, is the severing of the earlobe. Um, and a lot of people kind of... Grossly yeah. exaggerated, but please, you go on. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of people say like, oh, he was obsessed with some woman and he was a madman, so he cut off his ear and sent it to her. It's like, no, he had a full-on mental breakdown. And it wasn't a woman he'd ever met. He walked to the local brothel and gave it to the girl at the front desk. He was not, like, gifting it to someone for love. No, it was... Yeah, it's been grossly exaggerated. And to be honest, I don't like the extent to which people tend to paint our buddy Vince to be kind of a sex pest when he wasn't. He was just a person in deep turmoil and struggling and needed help and support. Yeah, in many ways. And by the sound of his love life, it sounded like, you know, to be honest, he's no different from any one of the perfectly normal dudes who would go to sex workers today anyway. Absolutely. He was just a lonely guy, and that's exactly what sex work exists for, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, he's, he's... 
that incident happens around December of 1888, and that year he spends Christmas in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of close to his last Christmas. We're coming up to the end of his life. But for this Christmas, his brother, after hearing about him being in hospital, rushes down there to see him and spends Christmas in the hospital with him, comforting him. Um, but this is probably the first Christmas with a family member, at least that I can see, where he actually has an amicable relationship. He has a good time. Oh. He's in turmoil, but he's having a rough thing. Um, so he gets home on January 7th, 1889, to the Yellow House in Arles. And, well, we're into the last 18 months of his life. Mm-hmm. Um And after one good Christmas with his brother, he paints some of his greatest works of all time. He paints Starry Night, which is obviously just iconic, um, At Eternity's Gate Gate was during this period as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he literally just produces beautiful work after beautiful work. And unfortunately, we know how it ends. He ends up committing suicide in July 1890. But I just couldn't get over how much, like, he has, whatever, like, six or seven absolutely horrible Christmases and one good one, and he becomes an artistic... He was already an artistic genius, but he just goes into overdrive, and then that's how he ends. And I just thought that was really cool. That I, it's, it's disturbing, it's sad, but it's really, really fucking interesting. Well done. I would have Thank considered much. myself, like, a fan of his work. Actually, we have a print of Starry Night somewhere in the house, I... It's upstairs. Um, I say that as if we have a huge house. We don't. Um, I didn't know any of that. Thank you so much. What a spectacular Ponce of Christmas. That was not one of the worst Ponces you gave me. In fact, I put the best ones first because I knew I'd be drunker by the time that we got along. I went the other way around and I put the more sensible ones. The more homework I've done, the sooner it's going to come up. Because I'm like, once I'm (laughs) drunk, like I'll just shite talk anyway. It'll be grand. Seems fair. What is the third Ponce of Christmas? The third Ponce of Christmas is San Francisco. Ooh. Mm. Now, this one is marvellous. Like, this is so special. I think it's my favourite one. Oh, cool. Okay. So, okay. San Francisco is the home of SantaCon, which is most assuredly (laughs) not what it sounds like. It is, in fact, a giant pub crawl. (laughs) And, okay, I want to tell this story all the way from the top, so just stay with me here, right? Sure. Go for it, go for it. The year was 1969. Picture, if you will, the world-famous anarchist commune of Freetown Christiania in Denmark, not in San Francisco. And a group of hippies calling themselves, oh, God, I hope we don't have Danish listeners, because I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Solvognen. Sounds pretty good. I don't know. Which seemingly means Sun Chariot. So Uh they're going by Sun Chariot. They all dress up as Santa. So now we're talking about an army of around 75 anarchist Santas, presumably on drugs. And they spend (laughs) several days in costume doing like a performance art storytelling experience where Santa is supposed to learn about capitalism and consumerism, I think was the intention. I think. They were obviously worried that Santa Claus quite resembles Karl Marx. (laughs) I mean, have you seen them both in the same room? If you like beards and a man dressed in red, boy, do I have a book for you. (laughs) So, on day one, it starts out and they do like quite a jolly parade and they're all Santa and there's angels in the parade and like the, the Danish people are delighted by this. It's really splendid and it's uplifting. By day four, 
DeSantis were protesting and disrupting. Children are sobbing. Cops are hauling Santas away. It is chaos. But Emma, what does this have to do with San Francisco, you impatient little creatures demand of me? Well, I will tell you, my darlings. Get to it. In the mid-90s, an article surfaced in the US about this particular performance piece, and it inspired groups of people, usually leftist people, who would dress as Santa, and they would cause kind of jolly havoc as an homage, you know, and they took over shopping centres, and they went to pubs and stuff. It, It was all, you know, it was in good fun. And such gatherings were actually quickly banned in several cities, like New York were having none of it. But the foggy old city of San Francisco, oh no, as per usual, anything goes there. So over the course of the next 25 years, San Francisco continued to home what is today known as SantaCon, as it became increasingly chaotic and evolved into what is today a date in mid-December, usually about two weeks before Christmas, where thousands, like thousands of people dress as Santa and party to severe excess. And they are universally beloathed by bartenders and by residents and especially by people with children, understandably enough. And this horde of drunk Santas are known for just like marching the streets like zombies, hassling women and they just descend on the city and basically where they go, destruction reigns. And that went on and on until this year when sadly they actually missed out on SantaCon because of COVID restrictions. Oh, yeah, this is the first year it's been without it. Sorry, I have heard of it before, but this is the first year they've been without it in like, what, 50 years now? Um, well, it's the first year that it hasn't been happening in San Francisco for 25 years. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I just can't, the imagery there, like, I, I don't know why, I know they're from California, but I'm hearing Boston and New York accents. Honestly, I'm hearing like Santa's punching the crap out of each other, like, "Hey, I'm going to kick the fucking crap out of you, buddy." <laughs> I love when you do accents because I think you think you're good at it. I've heard I'm quite good at it. I'm not very good at Boston. I can do like you know you're from Boston. That's how that sounds. You're from Boston, and then New York is a bit more darker. You know, you get away with that. My New Yorker friend recently tried to teach me an assortment of American accents, and the only thing I learned to say was, "Mark park the car." <laughs> oh, Mark Park the car. Mark Park the car. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. You want a cup of coffee? I get you a cup of coffee. I gave my daughter a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> the one I'm pretty good one is Minnesota, actually, mm. which is just whenever you're talking to someone, they go, "Oh, you betcha there." <laughs> I heard they were having some some tough times up in Fargo, actually. Yeah, oofta. That's a that sounds like a tough one, friend. <laughs> that is actually quite good. Well done, you. Ah, look, I told you, I thought I was good. But there you go. Um, You've won me the- over. What number of pants are we at? This is four. <laughs> this is four. What cool. number glass of wine are we at? Uh, for me, that's five. I'm on oh. the fifth now. You're going to have to slow down the drinking until the ponces sync up. No, it's okay. It'll be fine. I'll, I'll make it. I can, yeah, be fine. <laughs> uh, the fifth one you gave me was, uh, or ponce number four, was the Titanic. Oh, um, I love the Titanic. Yeah, so for this, I have absolutely fuck all. The Titanic was a ship, it hit an iceberg, uh, ice is kind of like snow, sometimes it snows at Christmas. Christmas is what we're talking about. We're talking about it because we have a podcast, and this podcast is being recorded close to Christmas. Um, And then? And then, however... Oh, good. (laughs) 
The sister ship of the Titanic was the HMS Britannica, okay. which also sunk, as you may know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is a loose tie. I'm not going <laughs> to argue. Um, it sank because of an explosion later revealed to be caused by mines planted by German Navy ships from World War I mm-hmm. um, on the 21st of November 1916. And it had kind of a similar death toll to the Titanic, about a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I thought was rather funny was that after an SOS ship, SOS was sent out, no one heard it. For some reason, no one heard the SOS. Uh, but so they. S- I won't burst send into song again. SOS. Chase, please. Uh, so you're they- not a professional vocalist. Don't. I know. I've I've never been on a stage singing in my life. Mm-mm. Do you have a band named after you? <laughs> no, definitely not. Do well, you? Then. Oh shit! I actually don't. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Baba Booey. Hey. Boom. Um, so after that, basically, the, the Britannic has gone down. They have more lifeboats because of the Titanic. They, like, <laughs> they kitted it out. They were, they were ready for it. I mean, good. So they sent... I don't know. We're laughing at this. It was a fucking tragedy. Uh, yeah. But they sent out all the lifeboats to go. And instead, what happened was there were two other ships from the same um, same company, the White Star Line, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and they spotted them. And there were two ships. Uh, one was the HMS Heroic, which is cool. interesting, to say That's the least. That's fucking cool. And what's really funny is the HMS Scourge. Oh, why would you name a boat that? <laughs> I don't know. Who fucking named that boat? <laughs> Who stood there and went heroic? Oh, fuck you, Steve. You're stealing the Scourge. <laughs> yeah. Imagine being assigned to captain of one and not the other. Fuck. It's exactly what happened. Uh, and there were, so there, there was a few lifeboat passengers that decided to wait because the Scourge arrived first <laughs> and they heard that the heroic was coming. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming because of the name. Maybe they knew someone on the boat. They were like, oh, we might be able to catch up with the O'Leary's. They'll be passing by on the heroic. We I, could get I cocktails. feel like it's the name, though. Have you it's met people? Probably the people name. thick, aside from our listeners. Yes, our listeners are incredibly intelligent people, and that's why they listen to us who aren't intelligent people telling them intelligent things. Boom. Uh, so I just love the image. Like, oh, the scourge is here. I, I think I'm going to wait. Um, anyway, about 500 of the survivors managed to, and this is the, the loosest time ever, make it home for Christmas <laughs> after being rescued oh, by the scourge. After being, make it, after, being, after being rescued by the scourge and the heroic, about 500 of the, I think it was two and a half thousand that escaped, managed to make it home for Christmas. And they're the ones who wrote the accounts over the, the Christmas period, basically, of what I mean, happened. You can say that about anything. Like, well, in yeah, May but- of 2019, I was supposed to fly home from Bordeaux and my flight was delayed, but thankfully, I was at home for Christmas. But when I say they made it home for Christmas, I mean they touched down in the UK on the 24th of December. Yeah, okay. Oh, oh, it's a Christmas miracle. It, yeah, who would have thought Except the Scourge the would have performed a Christmas miracle? <laughs> it was a Christmas miracle where a lot of people died. One of those. Oh, that's miracles. the part I didn't mention, actually. The heroic didn't make it until the 26th. I mean, they still made it. Let's not, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But just, just give the skirts some credit. It's owed. Um, that's all I got for the Titanic. I'm sorry. That's all I got. I ca- Given where that started and where it ended up, I think you fucking nailed it. Ah, oh, you're so sweet to me. I am. I'm good to you. You don't deserve me. <laughs> Number five was of similar difficulty to the Titanic. I'm not going to lie. So the fifth pawns of Christmas is tires. Thanks, Chase. (laughs) I I, I remember writing this one. I've been like, this will be fun. 
have you like did you try to look this up did you try and find out what what the right answer is it's not my fucking job because there isn't one of course there isn't it's tires (laughs) yeah here's what i got now i'm gonna read from my notes verbatim screw you chase screw you (laughs) fuck your face (laughs) Fuck you for believing in me and thinking I would find an interesting connection between tires and Christmas. I didn't believe in you. Thanks. (laughs) Sorry. And then, I thought of the time when my grandfather got new tires on his van as a Christmas present. And I, as a child, was absolutely scandalised. Like, I was offended by this. I thought it was the most unacceptable, heartless thing I had ever ever witnessed and I was like granddad granddad what did you get and he was like tires and I was like where are they and he's like on the van and I was like oh right oh grand but now as an adult like I get it I know how expensive tires are now and also I ask for car tax for my birthday every year so I'm kind of with them in spirit on this one but you know winter tires are actually quite important for your safety but apparently not here Either winter tires aren't important here, or else our safety isn't important here. I haven't quite determined which, because Ireland is one of the only countries in the EU where you are not legally required to use winter tires or tire socks during the winter. You just don't have to. If you want to die, you can die. It's your own business. However, to be fair, it's to do with snow. Like that's the reason. It snows here sometimes. Not often. When was the last time? 2018, and before that was 2014? Okay, it's not that often. I remember it snowing in 2014 because it was in April. No, you're thinking of 2018. It was in March. It was no, around that was the time like of a that... big. That was like a meter of snow here, at least. I don't know oh, yeah, no, it was a big one, all right. Yeah. Um, oh, there was the hard winter of 2010. Um, oh, yeah, I remember. I built a giant um, snow penis in my front garden. <laughs> Like, uh, with me and my brother, he was, like, 18 at the time, and he thought it was gas, because I was, like, 20 and an adult doing this with him. And, oh. like, we, we did, like, a huge, giant snow penis with, like, a vein in the bottom of it. Like, it was really realistic looking. And my mom came home, came in, and said nothing. Uh, and for the rest of the night, we were sitting there waiting for her to say something to us, and she said nothing. And finally, my brother came and was like, so, did you see the front garden? She was like... <laughs> Oh yeah, you two are thick. And then she went to bed. Oh, <laughs> I <laughs> didn't mean, even get the reaction. It's anticlimactic, but I'll be honest. As a ma, I think it's what I would do. I remember the hard winter of 2010 because obviously, like, I'm very Wexican. I feel like I belong in Wexford, particularly at Christmas. And I got stuck yeah. in Waterford for several days, and I was really, really panicked. I was like, "Oh no, I won't be home for Christmas." My mom was like, <laughs> "From Waterford?" Yeah, my mom was like, "You're 15 miles away. Would you shut the fuck up?" Like, you could walk us. <laughs> oh, not comfortably, though. Not in snow, anyway. No. Um, we do, however, in Ireland, have a rule saying that snow chains are only to be used when the road has a full covering of snow or ice. Because apparently, people got wind a few years ago that snow chains were a thing, and they just kind of went for it. You know, they got excited about the idea. And that's not ideal in a country where the roads are already all falling apart. Yeah. And also, we very rarely get a full covering of snow or ice. Again, like, we've just been through it. Neither you nor I can really remember a full covering of snow or ice on the roads outside of, what, three or four times? 
No, no, not at all. And like the other thing is like snow tire or snow chains rather, they will destroy your fucking car. Oh yeah. If you haven't balanced your wheels properly, you just decide because I imagine someone Googled it and was like, Oh, this'll be fun and this'll yeah, help just and put them, them on. on the evil website. Yes, yeah. exactly, and destroyed their car probably. Probably I have snow chains for my shoes actually. Interesting. I tried the tennis racket thing during the hard winter of two thousand ten and it's They're fantastic. It work. Okay, well, it didn't oh work mine worked perfectly. Really? Saved me from like they they have little spikes in the bottom and then you like into the ice and snow. Oh as you no, walk mine were and, just yeah, regular tennis rackets. Oh no, Jesus Duct no! Taped that's not going to work. To a pair of wellies. Fuck off! I was in college. I had no money. I've, that's like Wallace and Gromit. That's what <laughs> they know. did when they. <laughs> to be fair, I think I was drinking then too. So yeah, so that's as far as I got, and then I found five different instances of tire technicians who died in various mishaps while changing cars over to their winter tires, and that didn't feel very Christmassy. So unlike Chase, I avoided the story where a bunch of people died. Thanks for that. No butter, hon. I mean, Are you very good? I didn't do your research for you. What's the sixth font of Christmas? The sixth pounce of Christmas that you gave me was, uh, oh, shit, I better get more wine, because that's now the fifth glass, and now oh. I'm on the sixth pounce. Hurry up. Oh. I'll get to work, I'll get to work. Friends don't count glasses of wine. <laughs> it's like when you're doing a recipe, you don't like listen to the measurements of how much cheese to put in. You measure that with your heart. Don't tell me I need less than a bulb of garlic, because I need the entire bulb. Yes, oh, entirely. Every Jesus time. Christ. Uh, the sixth pounce of Christmas. It is the sixth, right? It's the sixth. It's the sixth. Uh, toothpicks. Toothpicks is the sixth no. pounce of Christmas. Uh, this one was really fucking easy. I, like I got it in, in one Google of Toothpicks Christmas. It came up, so it wasn't too bad. I really hope you um, got the thing I was thinking of. Let's hope I pronounce it right. If I did, is it Christingle? Close enough. I wouldn't have gone up so Sean Connery with it. It's German, isn't it? So it's probably Christingle. I've only ever heard it discussed by British people. So they said Chris Tingle, but let's go with Chris Tingle. It's a bit more, you know, exotic. Chris Tingle just sounds like you're having a diddle with Santa Claus. That's what I like about it. Tingling. That's the I saw, that's the I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus and then she dropped the hand. That's the hidden <laughs> third verse. Oh. <clears throat> so this was fairly simple. Chris Tingle means little Christ child and it's a celebratory <laughs> object in Moravian Christian denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, it is made using an orange which represents our planet, the world, etc. And they push a candle into it uh, representing Jesus the baby Jesus, as the light of the world. And then they tie a red ribbon on it, representing the blood of Christ. It's very fucking Christmassy. Uh, and finally, they stick a load of toothpicks or cocktail sticks um, to stick dried fruit to it and other snacks on there, uh, representing the fruit of the world. And I only have one little sentence written about this, because I haven't much to say in it, other than, if I may, how very Christian of them to take something representing the earth, gag it with rope, to light it on fire and then stab it and cover it in a whole load of things that have no business being there. We've truly hit peak Christmas irony. <laughs> oh, honestly, the whole Chris Tingle thing, it just, it tickles me. It's moderately amusing, but like, I mean, it, in fairness though, I, it's not that hard to tie it to like a pretty fucking ironic thing. Like that's literally, it's like, here's the earth, we're going to stab it, mm-hmm. gag it, light it on fire, mm-hmm. And then, and then give and it to cover children. Cover it in blood. We'll cover it in blood and yeah. give it to the next generation. Yeah. Also, my favourite one ever. Oh, I feel really bad because I can't remember his name. But I saw an English comedian talking about this years ago. And he was talking about how he did Chris Tingle, Chris Tingle, sorry, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. his church. 
and they didn't have dried fruit, so they put Dolly Mix on the toothpicks, and some <laughs> children were like eating their Christingles as they walked up the aisle of the church. I was thinking it's like a great way to, it's like, the, you know the way they say in Hot Lays, all those fake ads in American candy, like, oh, they're putting razor blades in your apples. And well, then they're like putting toothpicks to injure the children. Yeah. And like, <laughs> That's my thing. Like, what happens if a kid, because they do, they carry them up the aisle of the church. What happens when they fall, holding a spiky thing on fire? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Mm. I mean, it'd make for a hell of an interest. Like, if you if you didn't have snow in your country, the the snowball fights would probably be a lot more interesting. Ooh, if you're spicy. doing Chris Dingle, we do a Christmas Eve Nerf War in our house, so you're not a million miles. Ah, jeez, I'm coming into your house in Christmas one of these years oh, just for the Nerf War. Then I'll 2021, you are more than welcome, but I can't cook, so you know there's that. That's fine. Don't worry, I'll, I'll cook. Excellent. I'll bring things. Great. Um, what is the next pond? And I've lost count already. Uh, oh. Seven. We're on seven. We're on seven? Okay. And episode seven of the Ponces of Christmas is Star Wars. Yay! Yeah. Now, I quite like Star Wars, actually. And as you know... love it. Yeah. As you know, I don't watch movies. I've seen hmm. about eight movies in my life, and six of them were Star Wars movies. <laughs> Not the same one six times. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I watched the <clears> core <throat> six, none of the others... And I don't know if I go as far as to describe myself as like a fan, but I, I certainly don't object. And my dad is a huge sci-fi nerd. So he always puts on some like tacky 70s sci-fi, like something really kitsch always goes on over Christmas. And I'm very fond of it. And that's why at first I surprised myself by not previously being aware of, got a pause for effect here, the Star Wars Holiday Special. I'm very aware of this, and what I know... What the fuck? Have you watched it? Did you watch no, it? No, God, no. I don't watch movies. <laughs> no, you can just see, like, time. clips of it on YouTube, and it's just awful. I feel like if I were doing my due diligence, I would have seen clips of it on YouTube, but no. So I did. I skimmed a plot summary, and honestly, yeah. like, it's, it's nonsense. I'm not going to get into Chewbacca's wife, Mala, trying to cook along with a TV chef. I'm not going to get into Tatooine being placed under a COVID-esque lockdown. Let's just talk about why I haven't heard of this and why I assume most of you listening haven't heard of it either, even though it is canonical and supposedly it takes place in between episodes four and five. That's the idea behind it, yeah. yeah. So the most probable reason is that everyone fucking hates it. Everyone. It was a straight-to-TV special in 1978, it aired. And it was so universally despised that was basically just never spoken of again. Everyone just went, well, that was a mistake. End of. George Lucas maintains to this day that he had little to no involvement, and Harrison Ford claims that he has never seen it and he doesn't know what it's about, even though he starred in it. Main character, I've seen main it in Han Solo... He doesn't play a big role, really? <laughs> to be fair. I mean, no, the plot really. summary online could have convinced me otherwise, but okay, I'll take that. But yeah, Harrison Ford, who I, I understand is fucking mental, like he's out there. But he's been saying is this he? since... Yeah. He's been saying okay. this since like the mid-90s. He's like, oh yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't know anything about it. So, 
so the whole thing, like the impression I got is it was all very, you know, there ain't no monorail, there never was, go away kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah. Up mm-hmm. until the mid 90s, when some hardcore fans came forward with recordings on VHS of the original broadcast from the 70s. And then they would make copies of the copies of the copies of the copies for their friends or at the very least for people they'd met in chat rooms. And eventually streaming and torrenting and YouTube came along and fans and I guess not fans alike started hate watching this absolute slop en masse. And apparently it's become something of a cult piece to a point where mm-hmm. the, the LucasArts website have been forced to acknowledge it in their page on, you know, summaries of the entire Star Wars collection, where they claim fraudulently, they fraudulently say that it had mixed reviews. It didn't. It had 100% terrible reviews because it is a sloppy fucking mess. It was a cash grab from the studio. Like, we know where these things happen, but I I haven't gone back and watched it. I will say that, like, if you're in the right, um, say, possibly the fifth glass of wine mindset, mm-hmm. uh-uh. ah, then you'll probably really enjoy it. It's actually, it's just so bad, it's funny. It's one of those things. I'm one of those people. I like those films. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to watch it. I don't have time. But supposedly, it does contain an animated sequence, which is actually very, very good. And the rest yeah. is complete trash. They've actually just done a new Star Wars, Lego Star Wars holiday special. It's on oh Disney God, Plus. I haven't have. watched it yet. But I, I, they've, Disney Plus has been pretty pretty spot on with their Star Wars content so far. I'm mad for The Mandalorian. I don't know about you. I, I don't know. I don't really know. Okay. I've it's, seen it's pictures good. of the child, and I think the child is cute. Does that help? Uh, Does that the count? child, Baby Yoda, who has now been revealed to be named Grogu, oh, is, the child uh, is, is adorbs. I thought we weren't Charles allowed to say Baby Yoda because it's not Yoda as a baby. Well, the, there's a lot of fan theories that it might be Yoda's kid, but we're going to get too much into Star Wars canon. Have you any more to say on the... You were the sixth, oh, seventh Oh, thankfully not, no. So this means I'm the eighth Ponce of Christmas now? Uh, seven. Seventh? That was the sixth. For fuck's sake, this is going to become a running gag at this stage. Oh, God. Let me just get some Hang quick on. ASMR going on. You do that. I'm going to count how many we've done. Okay. No, this should be the eighth, right? It should be the eighth. Okay, yeah. No, no, it's definitely the seventh. You have three left, including this. I have two left. Okay, perfect. So that's, yeah, we're on on seventh. So the seventh one you gave me, which I'll be honest, was kind of pretty broad, was electricity. Oh. So the seventh Ponce of Christmas is electricity. I'm afraid Um, of electricity, so. I mean, I'm not scared. I did, I have one anecdote about it, which was that there was a time some years ago I was selling some old speakers in my house. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, this is why it's important to learn what words mean before you use them properly. Which I don't. This guy didn't turn up to meet me to buy my speakers. And I kept trying to ring him. I got no thing. And he rang me and said, I'm so sorry I didn't get back to you. My brother, he was electrocuted. And I said, oh, oh my God, oh God, is he okay? And he and I said, no, he was electrocuted. He died. Yeah. So electric shock is you get a shock. I was just going to say, like, no, Chase, he wasn't fucking okay. He died. <laughs> like, That's exact. I didn't know that. I was, because people use it incorrectly all the time. And so he was like, no, he, he was electrocuted. He died, like. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, yes. Yeah, so and then he took the time to correct my grammar further and, like, reinforce it. <laughs> I, I respect that. 
I, honestly, yeah, and he still bought the speakers. Oh, uh, but wow. yes, electricity. I did yeah. once, uh, I just wasn't listening. I just failed to listen to a friend of mine while she was talking. And she's like, oh yeah, my aunt died of cancer. And I kind of snapped back into the room. And I was like, oh shit, was she okay? And she's like, no. <laughs> oh God. And then she said, and this is where it got weird. She's like, suppose she's doing better now than when she was alive. That reminds me of that Billy Connolly one where his dad's lying in a hospital bed and he goes to visit him. <laughs> Jesus, you're lucky you're in here. It's raining outside. I love that. <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay, okay, sorry. We're getting off topic. Electricity. Electricity. So obviously, around Christmas, we use up lots of electricity um, and a lot of it on Christmas trees. Um, and so with very little research, I found out that before they had electricity, they used to use candles on trees. <laughs> Um, before lights, obviously. I, I, I know um, one historian who cross-referenced uh, fires and Christian households in Germany between 1700 and 1750 estimated that around 785 people lost their lives due to putting lights on Christmas, putting candles on Christmas trees. I don't know why I find that funny, but I fucking do. I find it funny because obviously they hadn't tried to put it in context before. They hadn't said, oh, these people died of this. They just thought, oh, there was a lot of house fires. And no one thought, maybe if we stop putting, like, open fire next to resinous, flammable trees. Oh, God. Is there, are, you're, you're in your living room, right? Uh, one of them, yes. Is there... Ponzi. Is there a Christmas tree in that particular living room? No. Okay, well, visualise the one that's in the other room. Really picture I haven't it. got a Christmas tree in my house. What? I'm spending Christmas alone. Why the fuck would I That's put a tree? That's all the more fucking reason to have a tree. This is sad. <laughs> Speak for yourself as you look at your Christmas tree and family and love and I look at my loving glass of wine. I mean, you say family. We're really more of a couple with a kid. <laughs> I don't think you're well, a family until you've got like seven kids. Yeah, well, I've got me, Ben, Jerry, Jack, Daniel. It's going to be a lovely evening. I'd forgotten about all your imaginary children. Who have it tough well, because they have imaginary problems as well as normal problems. Like being made of ice cream. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, okay. Uh, uh, however, the first ever Christmas lights, oh. as an interesting tidbit, uh, were actually a marketing stunt. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were set up They were set up at a Christmas tree. I don't know where it was. I tried finding the city. New York, actually. I've got, it was in New York. Yeah. I'm just not sure where. In 1882 by the Edison Electric Light Company. Um, and they lit up a Christmas tree. They wanted to show it off and did so on a Christmas tree. Um, now, unfortunately, Thomas Edison, as you may know, is a ruthless asshole. Um, oh, he was a bad asshole. man. He's just a bad fucking man. Murdering out Stealing or... Yeah. yeah, constantly stealing out patents or buying them off and passing them off his own. Yep. So he did that in 1882, lit it up and going, hey... We don't need to have house fires. Eight. Look at my bulbs. As because of how much he price gouged to the electric light bulbs, it was another 50 or so years before they became popular. <laughs> um, around 1930, they started using lights on Christmas trees then, electric lights. That's actually longer ago than I would have imagined, though. Your drink is not as asmr as mine. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, I'm okay fizzy with red that. lemonade, and you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the entirety of the seventh Pons of Christmas. Would you like to grant us the eighth, please, Emma? Okay, the eighth pods of Christmas you may be surprised to learn is Nicolas Cage. Oh, I've been waiting for this. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but at Christmas, I like to make the stuffing that has Nicolas Sage in it. Uh-huh. 
I'm really sorry. I had to. I just had to. I was just wondering whether you were waiting for a reaction there because you oh, were not going to no, get one. No, I, I <laughs> wouldn't have expected it. So. Now, but despite all his rage. Don't. He is still just a Nicolas Cage. You would be forgiven for assuming that Nicolas Cage has never been in a Christmas film. Because it's, it's not his style, is it? Though, to be fair, now no. nobody, himself included, I think, seems to know quite what his style is. But it's definitely not Christmas. No. And yet, the surprising thing is, Nicolas Cage was, in fact, in a Christmas film. Now, it's called The Family Man, and we've all heard of it, obviously. I've seen it twice. <laughs> no, you haven't. I'm a Have big you? Nicolas Cage fan. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so my understanding, again, from an online summary, because I have five minutes, I don't have two hours, is that he plays kind of a like a bootlicker Wall Street, like a money guy. And then he learns the true meaning of Christmas, and also he chases his ex through the airport, and they fall in love, and they have coffee together. And that's the ending. And that's the whole film. That's everything I think I needed to know about it. You'd think you'd have coffee before you fall in love, really. I think they fell in love over... No, they had been together before. This is his ex. You've seen it. I I haven't. I know, just the way you worded it there, like, you know, they fell in love and had seven babies and then they asked each other out for a cup of coffee. It's kind of how it happened in my marriage, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, your your husband does listen to this podcast, does he not? He's here now somewhere. Oh no, he has headphones on and I have headphones on, which again, yeah, pretty, pretty much the standard fare. Now, I was surprised Nicolas Cage had done a Christmas movie based on memes and short clips of him on the internet. But the thing mm-hmm. is, it it sounds terrible. Like, it sounds like a really shit film. And that's the thing, isn't it? Like, nobody knows whether Nick Cage is a good actor in bad movies or a bad actor in bad movies. Or if he's actually a genius and everything he touches is splendid and golden, right? And I don't know. Like, I have not got the vaguest clue. And frankly, I don't care because I'm not going to watch any of it and I don't want to find out. What I do care about is that Nicolas Cage, the man, is genuinely ridiculous. Like, he's absurd. Mm -hmm. While filming Trespass, a little-known thriller where he co-starred opposite Nicole Kidman... Have you seen it twice, Chase? Uh, I have seen exactly one hour of it and I fell asleep. Well, there you go. So, what you might not know is... He decided that he wanted to swap roles with Ben Mendelsohn after the majority of the film had already been shot. And I want you all to pause and think about that for a second. Like, think about the expense and the inconvenience and the work which would have been involved if he had been allowed to do that. The man is bizarre. Which brings me to my actual point. I think Nick Cage is Santa. That is a, that's a bold claim. It's a bold claim, but here's the thing. It's the mm-hmm. perfect fucking cover, right? Put yourself in that moment. You're six years old. You toddle down the stairs. It's 2 a.m. on Christmas morning. Your parents are fast asleep. Your brother has no idea. He's asleep. Everything's quiet. You creep down the stairs. 
You walk into the living room and Nick Cage is on all fours and he's barking at your dog because of course he fucking is. What else would he do? Who do you tell? (laughs) Who's going to believe you? Like, where do you report that? Who do you go to? And you go, I came downstairs in the middle of the night and Nicolas Cage was barking at my dog. No one's going to fucking believe you. Nick Cage is Santa. Prove me wrong. The National Enquirer. (laughs) They would print a six page full like expose. Cage pretends to be dog. All over that shit. I reckon you could probably get the the liberal dollar E to do a piece on it as well, actually. Oh, God, maybe. But yeah. (laughs) Like, prove me wrong. Get a picture of Nick Cage and the real Santa Claus together at the same time. I don't think I can do that. I will tell you that having watched a lot of Nick Cage's filmography, which is extensive, I'm pretty sure that he's too busy to be Santa Claus. That's his thing as well, isn't it? He'll just do any movie. Yeah, well, he lost a lot of his money, um, so he now does kind of anything. But he did also buy a tomb because it was tax-free. Oh, I've heard of this. This is a popular thing with uh, people who run dispensaries have had an issue with, I think it's it's legal at the state level in the US, but it's illegal at the federal level and they need places to put their money and stuff like that. So there's a growing trend of pot farmers buying graves yeah. and then selling them. And that's just where yeah. they store their money. Yeah, that's exactly. The it. They just literally... Well, they store their money sort of digitally. They don't literally, like, you know, bury it and dig it up at a later stage. But, you know, the graves represent value in themselves as something you can resell. That's exactly it. Uh, Are we up to the ninth Ponce of Christmas at this stage? Ninth or tenth? No, tenth, tenth. Yeah, I've I've got two left, so that means we must be at the... This is number ten. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, number ten. This was the worst one you gave me, and so I saved it for last, was scientific calculators. Um. And I've used them. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a fan. Oh, uh, I like them. there's there's probably seven words that I can write on them, um, three of which are safe to show to children. <laughs> um, but I I decided to 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 do my due diligence and give this a go. Mm. Uh, I will warn you that this is shocking. Um, so believe it or not, the first ever programmable or scientific calculator was the Hewlett Packard 9100A. I do believe Or the that. HP 9100A, yeah. Mm. Uh, designed by Thomas Osborne and Bill Hewlett. Um, Thomas Osborne was a co-worker of Hewlett, and just as it happened reading about the creation of the calculator, he had this um, anecdote to share about Bill Hewlett. Mm-hmm. So after they did the... They designed this thing and then a couple of other products, I think. But as a package deal, they managed to make a $15 million contract for these devices to get them out. So huge money, big break for the two of them. Um, And here's what Thomas Osborne writes about Bill Hewlett regarding the Christmas that year. Mm -hmm. I recall one conversation involving Bill, his son Walter and me at his home, following a review of our upcoming meeting of his foundations board. Bill could not shop for a Christmas present for his second wife, Rosemary. Owing to an operation from which he was then recovering, he asked Walter to shop for a gift that he wanted, a pair of binoculars for Rosie's bird watching. He gave Walter a hundred dollars for the purchase. Walter, who knew a great deal about binoculars and optics, suggested that his father might prefer one of the better German or Japanese binoculars that would cost not a hundred dollars, but six to eight hundred dollars. Bill had none of this. He said the matter was discussed for 20 minutes, and finally, in exasperation, Bill said, Walter, here is $200. It is more than enough for a decent pair of binoculars. 
please go buy them. <laughs> I respect Bill. Uh, that's the extent of a story I can find involving scientific calculators and Christmas. <laughs> it doesn't involve scientific calculators at all. And it somewhat involves Christmas. It was just after they signed the deal to pr- to uh, produce the scientific calculators for a company to like mass manufacture them. And that he is made $50 an million essential dollars. core part of that narrative. I think so. I don't know I why so. I'm criticising you. I'm the one who assigned this impossible task. <laughs> uh, please grant us the 11th, the penultimate ponce, the penultimate ponce of Christmas. The 11th ponce of Christmas is fucking hummus. <laughs> fucking yes. hummus. I, yeah. I, I believe it's pronounced hummus. I feel like that's what I said. You know what? From now <laughs> on, it's humus. <laughs> Just, just to upset you. Hummus. This is hummus. <laughs> the zoomus. Um, mm, I tried to research this, and then I gave up. Ask me why. Why? <laughs> yeah, I gave up because I found out that gingerbread fucking hummus exists. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm really, I'm just so angry... Like, I didn't even read the whole fucking article. There were multiple headlines that were like, the internet is divided over gingerbread hummus, or, you know, people don't know how to feel. I know how to fucking feel. I'm not divided at all. I can teach you people. It's wrong. It's an abomination. It Don't interrupt me now, because I'm on it. It's an abomination. Nope. It's a crime. It's unfair to the good people mm-hmm. of Christmas. It's unfair oh, yeah. to the good people of hummus. Amen. And it should be illegal. Preach. Why does Christmas ruin everything? Answer me. <laughs> Why does Christmas ruin everything? Tell me, Chase. Because um, we're humans and we invented Christmas. And because of that, it is just innately perfectly flawed. I'm, I'm it gonna, always will I'm be. I'm going to drink before I go on. You, I was going to say, I'm furious. I picked hummus thinking like, oh, this is get them. <laughs> it's that easy you found it in two minutes and, and then, I didn't even know that existed done. I thought hummus would be tough I typed it fuck into sake. Google I was like hummus and Christmas and it came up and I was like no fuck off you know what I quit the whole fucking podcast <laughs> no just fuck <laughs> off no more Christmas for any of you fucking bitches I feel like I'm cursing more than I ever have in my life and I'm really enjoying it now have you had gingerbread hummus I feel like I'll try anything once. That includes heroin. That includes bisexuality. I would try gingerbread hummus once. Hey, I know that story. But let's not tell the listeners. They can hear it some other time. About you on heroin? I don't think that's something we should promote. Not much happened. I was asleep for most of it. (laughs) Now, so no to gingerbread hummus. Have you tried mince pie ice cream? Uh, I would hate that. I hate mince pies. Okay, I love mince pies, but mince pie cream is just, it's offensive. Like, it's wrong. Christmas ruins everything. I hate it. I'm really unhappy. Have you tried Christmas pudding pizza? You heard. Oh, no. No, no, no. no, no Depending no. on where you get it, they may or may not light it on fire. I mean, they should do that and then never extinguish it and just let it burn yeah, and die. Just let it burn until the whole restaurant is up in smoke and then you get the insurance money and go to a country where Christmas is not a thing. I'm going to guess 
really guessing, Pakistan? Uh, I know that they do have a little bit of a liberal way of celebrating Christmas in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. I'm not going to get into that right now because I'm going to tell you. Christmas dinner flavoured pot noodle. I'd give that a go. Fuck off. I tried Milk chocolate yeah. flavor Pringles. No, that's disgusting. Yeah, fuck off. Mm. Wait for it. You waiting? Please proceed. Turkey and stuffing filled donuts. With oh. powdered sugar on the outside, baby. Can I just say, I've never seen one of those. Good. I've definitely never eaten one. I've definitely never been near someone that's eaten one. And yet I can imagine mm-hmm. what the fart smells like mm-hmm. of someone who's eaten one. Mm-hmm. I can smell it in my, it's in my head already. And like, Christmas yeah. already has a fart. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's already a Christmas right. fart. It's Brussels sprouts. They both look and smell and taste. That's three. I'm sticking with both. They both look <laughs> and smell and taste. Do you remember the Beano? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember, remember the Beano and the Dandy and they would draw a fart? That's oh, what yeah, a Brussels sprout sur- is. <laughs> Prove me wrong, internet. I don't know that I can. No, um, I can't. Is, is, is that all you have to say about Christmas and hummus? I believe you started Just that with. it's disgusting <laughs> and I hate it. And I don't think I even want to eat like normal hummus anymore. Like I think the whole concept, it just, how dare you? How dare you? And I, I get people... That are like, ah, it's Christmas, I'm having a great time, San Francisco is overrun with zombie Santas, I can do whatever I want, we're all having a good time, let's ruin everything, but fucking stop! Stop it. Christmas ruins everything. I know you really want to show off your angry side so you can get your own show on Fox News, but maybe (laughs) we could move on, if that's okay. I want to marry Tucker Carlson. (laughs) I think you want to get with Janine Pirro. Oh, that is a better option, isn't it? Can I please give them the final pons of Christmas? Oh shit, I forgot we had another one, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the final pons of Christmas, which I saved for last because it's the stretchiest of the stretches that I could put out, um, which is sunglasses. Because <laughs> Emma's attitude was, oh, don't you wear sunglasses in the snow? And I was like, no, Not in I the don't. snow, it's in, in the winter and you're driving and the sun is really low, you wear sunglasses in the car. I just use the visor on my car. I put it down. I don't like okay. the visor. I feel like it restricts my view. That's fine. Now listen to this, because I think this is the most impressive, loose um, combining of stories that I've ever done. Right? Okay. One of the first ever brands of sunglasses was a brand called Altieri. They were Italian. Wonderful pronunciation. Go on. Thank you. They were worn by quite a lot of the movie stars of the 1920s, and that's when sunglasses kind of came into fashion, is the early days of Hollywood. Mm. Um, in fact, one of the biggest breaks was actually when Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy were caught wearing Altieri sunglasses outside of a movie shoot, and then people were like, oh, they're wearing them, I want to get them. I find it hard to picture Laurel and Hardy as, like, style icons. They weren't style icons at all, but remember, they were, like, the first movies there wasn't movie yeah. stars before these kind of commies and, and like buster keaton and stuff what you is know? it didn't a exist. trip to the moon no like... that's wallace and gromit <laughs> no the first movie 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if it's called A Trip to the Moon, but yeah, it's a rocket. It's from the very early 1900s, like 1912, when it's colorized again. I guessed, and again, it's pure guesswork, but maybe 1898? It could be even before that, yeah. Yeah. But we're not talking about the first movie. We're talking very briefly about sunglasses, and then about Altieri sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Now, a famous person I love who wears sunglasses um, (laughs) and has a collection of over 250 pairs of Altieri sunglasses. Oh, is Tom Waits. Oh, really? Yep. I did not know that. And Tom Waits, coincidentally... Now, believe me, there was a look of unbridled joy on my face when I read about this and checked out Altieri sunglasses, saw Tom Waits, and I was like, Tom yes. Waits has written my favourite Christmas song. Oh, well done, Chase. It's a happy moment. Oh. So I'll briefly tell... Do you know the Christmas song I'm talking about? No, what is it? Uh, okay. It's my favourite Christmas song, and it is called Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis. Wonderful. Give us a few bars of it there. (laughs) Uh, I will give us... I'm going to tell you the story. I can give you a little bit of it uh, at the end, maybe. But it's about a prostitute, sex worker, sex worker, Mm -hmm. uh, writing a letter to one of her clients. The first line delivered in Waits' gravelly tone is, Dear Charlie, I'm pregnant. I like this already. Living on 9th Street. It's lovely. Um, And then this uh, sex worker starts to tell this client, Charlie, all about her sad life, that she's pregnant, but she's um, she's got a a new husband and he's going to raise the child as if it's his own, you know, be a good father. Um, He plays the trombone. He works down at the dog track or whatever. That's his job. And she says she's going to open a new business. And it's got this wonderful, sad, bluesy, almost desperado-esque vibe. Mm. Um. And there's a mortal line where she says, or, well, it's the character, but speaking through weights, well, everyone I used to know is either dead or in prison. Hang on. Hang on. i got stuff in my hands. Oh, God. Uh, so the hooker, in quotes, sex worker, I believe we say today, we know this, but this is what it says, um, tells this five-minute story through Waits' voice over this bluesy piano arrangement about how things are going to work out and she misses him and um, but she knows that he can't see her. And then in the last verse pulls a lol JK. What? A oh, fuck you Tom Waits. Fuck you. No, he tells this wonderful story all about the pro- but a picture this is being read in the voice. Charlie's reading this in his head of this prostitute that he hooked up with telling like I've have your kid Aye, things aren't going too bad. My husband's out, of, out in jail. We're getting on well. And at the very end, he just goes, Hey, Charlie, for Christ's sakes, you want to know the truth of it? I don't have no husband. He don't play no trombone. I need to borrow money to pay this lawyer. Charlie, hey, I'll be eligible for parole. Oh. Come Valentine's Day. Wait, how is this a Christmas song? Because it's a Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis is what it's called. And he gets it at Christmas. Tenuous on your behalf, tenuous on Mr. Waits' behalf. Oh, for God's sake. Yes, it's damn tenuous, but like, come on, sunglasses? And I somehow managed to get that to a song with Christmas in the title? I mean, that is good going, Emma. I, I am. I'm genuinely impressed. You took, like, it was a bit Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but fuck yeah, dude. Well done. Ah, oh, Kevin Thank Bacon you. should have been our 13th font, but Christmas doesn't go on for that long, thankfully. Right. Is that is that 12? Are we done? 
That's 12 hey. pounces of Christmas. Are, okay. Are you ready for our usual weekly quiz? I'll, I'll do a, a weekly quiz. Do you want to know the truth? Yes. I forgot to write a quiz. Aha. Uh-huh. So I've made one up now. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh. Listeners, I don't know if you do, if you know this, but Chase and I are on video call while we record this. I can see him. You can't see him. Show me you throwing away your notes. Throw them. They need to... No, no. They need to be away from you. My monologue for after the quiz is over, <laughs> so I kind of... <laughs> okay, keep them in arm's reach, but don't look at them. Yeah. What okay, was the they're f- upside down. That'll do. What was the first ponce of Christmas? The first ponce... <laughs> This is so fucking vindictive. I know. Uh, my first one was Vincent van Gogh, and your one was... Fuck. Oh, oh, he's gonna do it. You can say pass if you have no clue. Pass, I haven't. The first one was Alton Towers. Bollocks. Yeah, What okay. was the second Ponce of Christmas? Vincent van Gogh. Hey! What was the third Ponce of Christmas? Uh, ready Breck. That was none of them. That was the zeroth puns of Christmas. Final answer, Emma. <laughs> ready Breck. It was San Francisco. Aha, yes. The fourth Wonderful. puns of Christmas. Uh, the Titanic. Hey, well done. The fifth. I remember mine. Ponce the of fifth Christ- was Star Wars? It wasn't. No, it was tires. Shite, yeah. yes. Number six. Toothpicks. Okay, I don't know if you're right, but I, um, I'm, I'm assuming. That's it. Scrabble for your notes, you Christmas bitch. Oh, well done. <laughs> oh, but now you've seen the answer. No, well, number I know what seven. my last two were. Tell me number seven. Uh, it was Star Wars. It was Star Wars. Congratulations. Well done. You're doing yeah. great. You're playing a blinder. We all believe in you. We're rooting for you at home, Chase. Number eight. <laughs> Um, was that Karl Marx? No, that's Santa. Oh, was it Santa? No, that's Santa. Final answer: Ready Breck. Wrong. Number nine. Uh, why are you doing this to me? Because I'm a cunt. Are we let's say cunt on a podcast? No, that's fine. You can write it in a book. You can I say have, it on a podcast. I have no fucking idea. Hang on, I need to get wine. Very important that I get wine. <clears throat> Do you want me to tell you, or should we just move on from here? Pass, yeah, go on. It's Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Um, that's Despite all my rage, I am still just a Nicolas Cage. Cage. Fuck, I love that song. Um, no, that's song. not right. So, yeah, no, it is. What's 11? 11 was... Hang on, we, we just did 9. You didn't ask what was 10. What was 10? <laughs> <laughs> 10 was scientific calculators oh so it was what was 11 11 was hummus hey very well done what was 12 it was tom with sunglasses <laughs> it was tom's sunglasses hooray Yay! i feel like that was maybe ish i think you got maybe 10 of them right I at least got six. I'm pretty sure I got uh, six because no, I, I knew my own. Ten. I'm giving you a B. A score of Christmas out of 12. <laughs> no, I'm giving you a B. A B. A B in um, your Christmas exam. Let your mommy know. Well, 
you know what? Don't bother. I'll send a letter. <laughs> Thank you. Could you please tell her that I'm not in detention anymore? She won't let me out of this room. I've decided to put you on report, actually. So, there's that. <laughs> Wonderful. Can I please have permission from you, Emma, to give us some final words on this, our Christmas special? Oh, is it going to be one of those monologues that you do? Uh, I feel like it's kind of, you're kind of asking yourself because you know I have to say yes. I mean, it is Christmas. Guanso, the tiny Tim of comedy. Do as you please. <laughs> and monologue. So this has been a different podcast and that we're both likely pretty drunk by now. In reality, probably more so me than Emma. But anyway. But I think it's important to be forgiving of yourself for these little overindulgences during the holidays. Christmas is a stressful time, especially if you're short on money or entertaining your whole family. And allowing yourself that extra mince pie, that cheeky sherry, the naughty hit and run, or the secret of extra puff of the crack pipe is very important. <laughs> this year actually marks the 26th anniversary of me not getting a stretch Armstrong. <laughs> but my memories of Christmas are plentiful. From the time I got a concussion on Christmas Day, the time the wrong granny came to Christmas, <laughs> the time the turkey ate the dog, the time the ham went missing... Or the time we lost my good friend Jeff through a misunderstanding of the lyrics to Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. I'm an adult now, and these memories are wonderful to look back on, but Christmas is a time for the kids, really. Some people have zero restraint in purchasing their child the moon and the stars for Christmas, and I just think that's wrong. Christmas is a time for wonder and, of course, presents, but it's also a time to teach children about the true value of things. For example, every year around a week before Christmas... My parents would wrap and place a hundred or so presents under the tree. Me and my five siblings, unaware that the boxes were all empty, would be called into the lounge and told in no uncertain terms that if we misbehaved before Christmas, one of them would be thrown in the fire. By Christmas 2002, I was the only one left. (laughs) And while this may have made the gift of a seesaw seem rather hollow, (laughs) it really did teach me the value of cans of paint. This year, because of coronavirus, Christmas is a little different for all of us. Not different from other years, really, just different in that it's not that remarkable of an event. We've spent our entire year watching TV and movies, lying on couches and nibbling on something or other at 50-minute intervals. We've had relatives who have overzealously made promises to get fit and then reneged in those promises at the mere mention of milk chocolate hobnobs. Indeed, the entirety of 2020 has kind of been like those three to four days between Christmas Day and New Year's. Have I enjoyed it? Not really. Am I excited for the future? Definitely not. Do I think Christmas will lift our spirits? Yes, of course. And that I will be lifting spirits off the bargain shelves of Aldi, like the lifting of all those restraining orders I got in 2010. Christmas is a time for indulging in food with your parents, grandparents, siblings, and cousins. As a child, my granny would always approach me first before dinner was served. Leg or breast, dear, she'd say to me, in that hushed tone that old women often use. Of course I'd pretend to act grateful, but really I just wish that she'd put her clothes back on and stop mistaking me for Grandad. I was gifted a Jeffrey Epstein advent calendar this year. You done? No. Is this your best monologue ever? Am I a bit pissed? It's great. Keep going. I was gifted a Jeffrey Epstein advent calendar this year, and unfortunately I forgot to place it on my wall in time for Christmas. But luckily yesterday, when I went out for a few minutes to do some Christmas shopping, I came back and it had hung itself.
No, it didn't. That's enough jokes. Let's talk turkey. This year has been horrible. Everyone has either lost someone or knows someone who has lost someone. Everyone is tired and scared and angry and sad and lost. And, and it's not just that this year has seemed long. It was a leap year, by the way. Don't know if anybody noticed. Um, it's that this year was long, but it seems so short because no one could do anything for almost 10 months of it. And this isn't the end. I think people are very much delusional in thinking that Christmas and New Year's is going to be an end to all of these problems with a fresh start. This isn't Monopoly. Our markets are very much a monopoly in many respects, but we're not passing go and collecting 200 quid on January 1st. These problems we're having are going to carry on to 2021 and may not even be fully resolved until 2022. So I'm asking everyone to give each other the greatest gift of all this Christmas. A DVD box set of Doctor Who. Everyone needs to sit down and completely escape into the world of an immortal alien who travels through time and space, visiting the most interesting points in history. Everyone needs to binge watch the entire series and then take the vital time to imagine that they were this being, imagining that they had infinite time and resources to live their lives. Frankly, I think it's the only fundamental truth that a human being can realise. In understanding what your mindset would be once you truly have everything, you can fully understand who you are, what you want, and who you love. And if you wanted to make it through the next year, self-awareness is going to be the greatest ally you have in coming out the other side. As a lifelong fan of the series, I've come as close as I can to answering all of these questions. Who am I? I am Chase. What do I want? A Stretch Armstrong in 1995. And who do I love? Well, after a year of hard work, I think I love me. And there are other people I love, and I'll try to make sure they know that every day for the next year. But really, (coughs) loving yourself is the only way you'll ever be able to love someone else the amount that you think they deserve. (coughs) Yeah, you're grand. So let me say this with as much clarity as I can. Fuck 2020. Mm -hmm. Fuck this year with all the passion and fervor of me eating a whole turkey alone on Christmas Day. And make sure you have a Merry Christmas, because you deserve it. Me and Emma, we're going to take a couple of weeks off for the holidays, uh, and you all should too. We'll talk to you in the new year. Do we have a few weeks off?